0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov.
0: This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. We're broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, bringing you a brand new episode of The Line. Today, I'm sitting down with Chef Matt Highland. Matt was born in Brooklyn and then moved to Connecticut, where he attended high school, and then moved on to attend Roger Williams University in Rhode Island. There in his dorm room, if I'm getting the story correct, he shared some pizza with Emily, the woman who would later become his business partner and his wife. Today, they operate Emily in Cobble Hill, and Emmy Squared located in Williamsburg. Both locations have garnered many local and national accolades for Matt's unique pizza combinations and flavors. If you're a lover of pizza and love to debate the merits of New York, Neapolitan, New Haven, and even, yes, Detroit-style pizza, this episode will definitely speak to you. Matt, thanks for joining me today on The Line. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with what else? Let's start with pizza, right? Um, We can probably both agree that New York is crazy about pizza. Has been for several years. Doesn't seem to be... (laughs) For several years at most. Doesn't seem to be slowing down. (laughs) Um, uh, But let's leave Kings County for one second and travel uh, a short distance to our neighbor, uh, to the north, to Connecticut. Um, I'm pretty in the dark here. I bet a lot of listeners are as well. Uh, What's the deal with New Haven Pizza? Uh, New Haven Pizza is
3: a very underrepresented style of pizza that you can really only get in New Haven. Um, it does have some of the qualities of New York pizza. Uh, it looks like a pizza. <laughs> Let's start with that.
2: <laughs> okay. So right there. It's round. It's that's, round. Okay, good.
3: So, um, you know, classic New Haven pizza is just usually just sauce with a little bit of a cheese, like a little pecorino or um, Parmesan sprinkled on it. And there's also the famous New Haven clam pies. Um, and when they cook their pizza, they usually cook them very well done. And that's something I really like about New Haven pizza is like it's almost burned.
2: So when you say burned, are you talking about the bottom of the crust or the actual toppings are also kind of charred or... It's
3: more of like the outside rim of it. So the the top crust part of it, um, it's, it usually has a black, it looks like a black ring around instead of like just a kind of blonde or beige looking.
2: And there's out. all there's all this kind of New Haven lingo, right? Like there's besides the char, I mean, there's like, uh, for example, I, I did a little research that uh, you order Moots mozzarella and it's... Uh, you don't call it mozzarella, and it's like a topping that you – it doesn't come standard on the pizza, right? Are there any other weird kind of um, big differentials between what we would consider like a New York slice joint pizza and a New Haven pizza? Uh, well, they definitely don't sell slices. It's usually oh, they don't, No slices? Yeah, no okay, slices. Cool. Most
3: of the places are um, – there's a few famous places. It's just whole pies. Um, you don't order a slice. Um, yeah, t- uh, ordering a, like a regular pizza does not automatically come with mozzarella as a New York one would. So it's a tomato it's basically a tomato pizza with a little bit of the, um sprinkled cheese on
2: it. And, and then you can order the cheese. So you moved to Connecticut from Brooklyn at a yep. young age uh like 9 years old. Okay. And so where exactly did you move to? Close to New Haven? Were you in a were you close to the pizza Mecca no, of not, Connecticut? Not, not really. We uh we
3: moved to Greenwich, which okay. is about 45 minutes from New York and around 45 minutes from New Haven. So and it was kind of in between.
2: So who did you move there with? Your, both your parents? Yeah. you have any siblings? And... I have an older brother. Okay. And so uh, why the move from Brooklyn to Connecticut? Uh, I think it was time for my brother to go
3: to middle school or high school. I don't remember which one at that time. And mm-hmm. it was just, it would have been like a, I think it was like a three bus transfer to go to the school he was going to go to uh, from Bay Ridge. So um, I think they just moved to Connecticut. My dad is also from Connecticut, uh, mm-hmm. from Greenwich, so... It just made sense. Like
2: they go back to where they're from. So, what do you do? You feel like you're a Brooklyn guy, or do you feel like you're a Connecticut guy? Uh, I'm definitely a Connecticut guy. Okay.
3: (laughs) I mean, being I remember Brooklyn very well as a child, but you know, my formative years, you know, from nine, ten years old onward spent in Connecticut. So, so
2: what's that like to be, what does, what does that mean? Your formative years in Connecticut? <laughs> what does that consist of? I'm imagining a really green big yard and yeah. a lot of, you know, football on Sunday yeah, and exactly. what else?
3: Uh, I love sledding. That was something <laughs> that I never did. In I love win. sledding too. Right? I'm a Michigan so, guy. Who doesn't exactly. love sledding? So sledding was great. Uh, what else was good in Connecticut? Um, I don't know. It's just very green and lots of places to play and you know, it's beautiful.
2: So when you uh, you move from the uh, from Brooklyn out there to the the suburbs, basically, yep. uh, are you a food family? Are you interested in food at that point? Does it play a, a role in your life? Um, we weren't necessarily like one of those families
3: that was you know it's like food is king. I mean, I always loved eating, um, and my you know we we'd always have Sunday uh, meals together with a grandma, and um, even in Connecticut, she moved actually up to Connecticut also from um, Brooklyn to be close to us. So you know we 'd have our Sunday dinners together, and we'd eat dinner together every night, but it wasn't some sort of like insane food culture that some people grew up in. It was just a mm-hmm. normal normal house
2: and so when you say a Sunday dinner with grandma, is that uh, what's the the general foods that's being served at that? Is it an Italian yep, dinner Italian. okay yeah so, and so <laughs> is that a grandma sauce type of deal? Yep, so okay. uh, grandma would make sauce um, you know it'd be
3: usually some sort of a baked. Uh, baked pasta of some sort, like, ziti with, like, you know, red sauce and baked. Um, She'd make meatballs once in a while, and there'd be two types of meatballs. One would be with raisins and one would be without raisins. Cool. And that would be... You know, I, I always want the ones without raisins. And my uncle would always want no raisins. Everyone else loved the raisin ones, but I wasn't into it.
2: I guess when you're a little kid, yeah. like meatballs with raisins is probably a pretty weird food exactly. item that you're trying to probably avoid. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: um, I love this idea of, uh, you know, family sitting down to dinner. It, it spans all cultures. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm Jewish, we do bagels at brunch. <laughs> it seems to be like um, the Northeast, a lot of Italian families, there's the Sunday meal. Mm-hmm. Um was that based out of um, like, were you required to be at that meal, or was it more just like, oh, if you're around, grandma's gonna make meatballs? Oh no, it was a requirement because okay. we either
3: go to her house or my mom would be making it, so it would be um, again. We just it's time for dinner. We all sit down, and then actually every night for dinner, we'd we'd actually sit down, and my parents would try to time it with putting Jeopardy on. Like at seven o'clock, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like. We sit down, we eat, jeopardy goes on, and then like then the t v that's the only time we'd ever like, be allowed to watch t v is if jeopardy was on, and then and then the t
2: v would go off, that's it nice, <laughs> yeah okay so let's uh let's transition a little bit forward. I want to know so you went to uh, school in Rhode Island and you got an information science degree, yep. right so your family's not a crazy food family. you go to school for information sciences first off, what is that and then also, I want to know how does that how does someone who really isn't that into food really in their early life goes to college for a very specific degree? How do you end up in chef whites <laughs> that's a good question i actually asked myself that's it
3: um <laughs> you're like i'm still, asking, yeah, I'm still myself asking myself how this happened um yeah i was the of the four people in my family um i was the only one without an econ degree so even getting a computer science degree was sort of um they were like what is you know why are you getting why not econ and i was like i don't know like i just i'm not interested in economics and i shouldn't like mm-hmm. like whatever the three of you are doing <laughs> um so so that was sort of a, all right, like, you know, I, I really like computers as well. So I enjoyed taking them apart and putting them back together. So it just seemed like a natural thing. And mm-hmm. then maybe by, I don't know, junior year, I was just, I was very disillusioned with just fixing, you know, computers and doing like internships at uh, um, like companies that were making computers, things like that. So it was just, I really loved to cook and I really love food. And I felt like being on my own in college, like I just had time to sort of like, eat whatever I want to and not be, you know, here's the meal for tonight from mom and dad. It's just like you just start experimenting and like trying to cook things in like, um, in our apartment and, you
2: know, it just sort of went from there. Did you do a lot of exploring, uh, trying restaurants that you probably wouldn't have tried otherwise? Or was it mostly in-home kind of recipe testing to a certain degree?
3: Yeah, we try, I tried a lot of restaurants I uh, wouldn't normally have. Um, you know, growing up also, we went to a lot of varied uh, ethnic restaurants too. We'd always go to, you know, the city and, you know, eat Indian food and Thai food and things like that when I was younger. So, it, you know, we, I had a good exposure to food. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't necessarily like a, like a way of life.
2: Do you see any... Um, Is there a crossover? Is there a lot of applicability from breaking down and building computers to putting food together? Or am I grasping at straws here? No, no. Um,
3: One thing that I think really helped with, uh, like, you know, program writing and things like that was uh, trying to not necessarily making the dish, but trying to systematize how to make a dish. So when I'm in my kitchen and I'm looking at something that's not working efficiently, if there's a pickup that's not necessarily right, how can I make this? like a, a really inconsistent like job like cooking how can I make this more efficient like a computer so it's like how do you minimize the motions how do you minimize movements you know is is this pan right like just, just sort of trying to systematize every looking at every single thing and being like this could be more efficient this could be more efficient this isn't working right like heat here heat you know the things like that sort of help when you have a computer science degree.
2: And so I want to build on that and talk about actually when you joined the Breslin as part of the opening team, you mm-hmm. were actually more focused on the administrative side. Yep. You've just alluded to systems and putting those in place. It yep. seems like perhaps you were very much so the right man for the job, but how did that feel to be uh, part of an opening team, but not being on the line? What's it like being on the computer side? Yeah,
3: it's, 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 it's a, it was the first job I ever had in the cooking world that was not actually cooking, um, except for like, varied events off site. But you know, just watching them trying to put things together and then hiring and and you know doing all the administrative work was uh, it was sort of like a collision of two worlds of like my past and the computers and like my, what I'm doing in like cooking. So. It was a very interesting uh, it was a very interesting job. And it,
2: it seems like you were almost, you were the perfect person for it, right? Like you had that computer background. You were obviously very focused mm-hmm. on, on systems, but you knew the kitchen. Um, did you feel, uh, was the kitchen pulling you back or did you feel like you were in the right spot at that time?
3: Yeah, I think uh, I was at the right spot. And I feel like after a while of working there, I was like, oh, like maybe I do want to go into the administrative side of, of uh, the restaurant world. But then, you know, it sucked me back in again. I was like, I can't. I can't just watch watch all this action happen, just what kind sucked, of stand by. What sucked you back in? The, um, You know, I mean, there's just little things where you could watch when you're watching someone like saute, and like those, like the like, the grease from the pan just kind of shoots out and makes those sparks out at the edge. It's like things like that, where it's like looking, like seeing something like that, it's just like, it's such like a primal, like primitive thing that's happening, and it's like beautiful in its own way, and like, you know, staring at a computer screen is, it's fine, but... You know, it's not necessarily like what I want to be doing. And it's why I love computers in the first place.
2: You you alluded earlier to the point of you know you're looking at um, all the systems that go on in a kitchen. What's the right pan? I want to talk a little bit about uh, in your own restaurants. What? How has your um, computer background and your love of organization? How has it affected um, your leadership style? Uh, how do you oh, organize? How do you organize your kitchen? Um.
3: Like, uh, like staff wise or like how I'm just
2: kind of running it or both. Yeah. I want to hear about like, what, how does your brain work in the kitchen? Because you come from an actual trained, you know, computer science background, you know, you, you love these processes.
3: Yeah. Um, one thing I do love about the process of like wood fired cooking is how inconsistent and like, you know, really hard it is. So trying to process a, you know tr- trying to do something so inconsistent like we're cooking a wood fired oven trying to to make it more consistent it's just something i love to figure out like what size wood is going to go in and what type of wood and where to place it in the oven and where to put the and iron and like when to raise it and like control the fan so it's sort of you know again with, and every, every piece of wood is different so when you put it in like different things happen so it's just really just trying to figure it out and then relay that information as efficiently as possible like we use a, a communication tool called slack i don't know if you know that where um Is an instant messaging kind of thing? Basically, where people don't have to necessarily. It's like a group instant messaging that people don't have to be looking at all the time. So we love using Slack in the kitchen too, because we just like, you know, bang out information to all the people in there. You know, they get like dish ideas, they get specials, like things like that, just
2: sort of. Well, this is fascinating to me because the people that I know that use Slack work in tech companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, The kitchen is usually a place of. Chaos to a certain yeah, extent. That's a good way um, to it. The there's maybe a recipe book <laughs> if it's if the kitchen is very organized. There's a recipe book yeah, and have scales being used. Yep. But a lot of times it's either the chef teaches you how to make it and you have your little notebook in your back pocket, which I hope you never lose. Right. <laughs> but uh, even sometimes there's just scraps of of paper around, mm. or the chef makes it and no one else knows how to make it. But you're you're talking about really modern communication mm-hmm. in your kitchen. Um, how hard was it to get people to adopt the modernity of your kitchen?
3: Uh, front of house was very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on their phones all the time anyway, <laughs> so, telling them to get off the phone. Right. So they're checking Slack. They're like,
0: time. I'm on Slack, Matt. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Exactly. Yeah, you know? sure.
3: <laughs> so that, that was really easy. Um, and, uh, back of house, uh, we're getting there, you know, I mean, not everyone has a, a, a smartphone. So mm-hmm. right there, like that's sort of a challenge. Um, uh, but all of the leaders in the kitchen and the, and the restaurants, um they're on it and like they'll they'll do shift notes on there so people can see it there's like lock channels where like only the management can see it so it it works out really well
2: that is uh that's a great way of kind of organizing all the information that gets drilled down in Mm -hmm. the kitchen do you also keep kind of like um a a master document of all your little tweaks and everything like when you get the the wood right and Mm -hmm. you get the, the timing right on a on a dish is that all happening through slack or is that all is that you kind of off to the side trial and error doing it and then you're you're letting everyone else know yeah this is the way yeah so i, I will usually do it and then mm-hmm. relay that information um so and and how long is that taking you to kind of like how long did it take you to drill down to where you were happy with your first emily pizza oh, i'm still i'm still not <laughs> happy with it. <anyone. laughs> every
3: single pizza is like a, a is another challenge i mean again mm-hmm. with the with the wood oven it's always it's always uh you know it's always a struggle to 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 just be happy with everyone because like even pizza to pizza it could just be slightly slightly different and like no one would ever notice but i'm gonna notice and i'm just gonna try to make it better every time
2: so no pizza is a hundred percent there yet
3: well, they're all there. I'd say not, for me, they're not, and but for everyone who works and, and everyone who eats and loves it, it is. But mm-hmm. I'm always going to be my biggest critic.
2: Okay, yeah. and and so uh, is there a constant tweaking of the pizzas on the menu, or are some at a point where they stay very consistent? Are you still kind of playing around with some of the pizzas at Emily and Emmy Squared?
3: Uh, we have like a greatest hit section mm-hmm. uh, on both of them. Um, Emmy Square is much newer, so the menu hasn't changed uh, that much. Um, you know at Emily, we have seasonal stuff that comes on and off, um, so yeah, it just really depends you know if we feel like making some pizza, we'll you know buy some stuff and make it or or uh, same with like the the plates you know it just really depends on we just kind of cook what we want to eat, which it really comes down to
2: so for for me personally as a as a cook, this is like something kind of embarrassing that i'm going to share with you and all the listeners uh that I really don't eat pizza. Um, I stopped eating cheese almost like eight years ago. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, not making my life pleasant. Um, so like when I'm at the restaurant, when I've gone to a pizza place with my friends, you know, I'm kind of the odd, I'm the odd person out, you know, I'll eat the other item on Mm -hmm. the menu or on occasions I'm that person who calls the delivery pizza joint and gets a half cheeseless pizza and I'll split it with my roommate. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm not allergic. I Mm -hmm. just say that I avoid cheese. So I, I kind of go to a restaurant and maybe the server rolls their eyes at me and then they go back into the kitchen, right? So now we're at you. You're (laughs) in the kitchen. You get – the server comes back and they say, um, got somebody out there. They don't eat cheese. Will you do a cheeseless pizza? Is that something that you'll do at your restaurants or is that – no is that against what you believe in i don't know we have we have a pizza on the menu that
3: does not have cheese okay and then if someone doesn't want to have cheese on it, it's fine uh people modify pizzas all the time the only thing we don't do is if it's someone wants a half like a half and a half where it's like half of one pizza and half of another one okay because the pizzas are so small it gets complicated where it's like you know they want half a tomatillo pizza and half a red pizza we can't really divide the sauces on a tiny pie but other than that, any sort of modification to pizzas, we're fine with It's Just you know, whatever you want. Pizza's fun, so.
2: Well, I like that you said that that pizza is fun. So I I, I want to take this a little bit deeper, um, about customer experience, like in the broader sense of the restaurant. So uh, supposedly, you know, the restaurants are in the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. You could say, you could argue against that. Many people <laughs> that have been to many a uh, Brooklyn and New York restaurant might disagree with my statement there. But um, often, what you get at Restaurants is this uh, curated chef experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you just said pizza is supposed to be fun. You said that you'll ma- modify pizzas. Um, do you think in the broader sense, like, is the era of um, the diner is always right dead? Like, for you specifically, and also, what do you think about kind of the grander New York dining landscape about that?
3: well I mean at uh at Emily we have actually two sides of that uh two sides of that argument at Emily where we don't allow people to mess with the burger because that's something that uh it's very labor intensive and a restaurant's very very small where it's just sort of like it just has to kind of come out as it is like we really can't modify um but everything else on the menu you can kind of do whatever you want to yeah I mean I like going to restaurants where it's it is like a no modification thing for a nicer place because this is what the chef wants you to have so you should eat it and the way it is but you know, for like, a, if I went to like a diner or something and they were like, no, you can't have it. And it's like, like, really? You know, or a pizza place where it's, I, I've actually been to a pizza place that, you know, I wanted a, um, they had one of the fried pizzas, uh, the the Montanera fried pizzas, and like I wanted to add pepperoni to it. And they're like, absolutely not. I'm like, it's like, what, what's the difference? Like, just put the pepperoni, like, why? Uh-huh. Like, you know, you like, they had ones with other toppings, but like putting a, or it, or like, it was like spiced salami on it. And I was like, well, I'm like, okay.
2: So like, so, for you, so for you, you feel like there are certain restaurants that you're okay with it being more strict and others that yeah. you kind of find it ridiculous yeah. that they are. So what's kind of a dining experience for you where that you feel like, oh, it's, I'm coming here to specifically get that? Is there a certain type of cuisine that you feel is not to be... Changed. I, I mean, fine dining. Okay. Actually, actually, uh, today's Emily, uh, my and Emily's uh,
3: anniversary. Oh, congratulations! And we're going to Danielle tonight. Awesome. So I would never go in there and be like, "No, nah, I, I want some different sauce on this." You know, like, that would be just like, yeah, come on, like, but, you, sure know, sure but you know, but you know, what's interesting
2: it. about Danielle is you could probably make any demand. Yeah, you could I mean make the most it, yeah. outlandish demand. You could say, "Hey, I'm Matt Highland. I'd like a burrito right now." It's my anniversary, <laughs> and they're going to be scrambling and back. They're like Matt Island wants a burrito <laughs> come on <laughs> make it happen um, so uh so what how do you how do you feel about uh, fine dining like is it a I mean you're obviously going there tonight for a special yeah. occasion but um do you do you like the space that you're in with your restaurants do you ever contemplate going the fine dining route uh you know fine dining it just uh, um,
3: I mean I love eating at fine dining establishments uh, it just seems like just not the style of, of food that you know I would get into. Um, I, I sort because of, I, I sort of like the like the the uh, the primal sort of pizza, you know, in the wood oven, and with the Detroit pizza we're doing, it's it's kind of like almost like a kid oriented pizza. It's fun, and and like, I really like the. Uh, I just I, I like to be able to to cook what I want to eat, and like I don't always want to eat fine dining, so I wouldn't necessarily be happy cooking fine dining food. And I'm not necessarily sure that you know I would, I would, I would want to be like just like focusing on like little like microgreens every single day. That that that's not necessarily where I, what I like to cook. I love eating it though, but I don't, I don't want to really cook it every day.
2: Uh, we're here with Matt Highland from Emily and Emmy Squared. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
0: Music in this break is by Tackstar. This one's called Relax, It's Just the End of the World. We'll be right back.
1: Chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified program at certified.ny.gov.
2: Welcome back to The Line. We're here with Matt Hyland, chef and uh, co-owner of Emily and Emmy Squared. We've been talking about uh, how he liked to put a lot of systems in place in his kitchen and how they utilize technology to keep uh, the kitchens connected uh, using a modern tool called Slack. Uh, We're also talking a lot about pizza. Um, I want to talk about you and your wife as partners. so my brother is my business partner, and we've worked closely for many years. We shared an apartment. Uh, so I, I feel like to a small extent, I understand what your working relationship might be like, and I'm sure there's listeners out there that say, oh, I work with my spouse. I run a business with my roommate. Um, it's great to be able to work with someone who you trust completely, um, and you know I value my brother's feedback more than anyone else I would like to ask you um, about working uh with your spouse uh what is it like to be a partner with your wife emily um it's it's
3: very rewarding uh we get to see each other a lot but it's also difficult in the sense that it's hard to separate work time from not work time Where it's you know we're basically almost always working on on both the restaurants from the time like we wake up you know we're checking emails to like you know um know communicating with managers and then go and check on the restaurants and then if we have to work the night we'll do that and then come home and talk about the day and the night and then all of a sudden it's like you know weeks gone by and we've just done restaurant stuff there's been like no dinner together or no you know like uh like no going for a walk or anything and so it's just it's difficult to separate that that time like the personal time you know and obviously when you're when you're with somebody um Who's your partner? I mean, there'll be, like, you know, differences in opinions on the on the restaurants and things like that. But it's really nice to we always have the same goal, and it's like make the restaurant succeed. So th- that's never been questioned, where it's nice to have that sort of bond with somebody, where, like, it's undying, um, <laughs> completely undying, like, uh, dedication to, to the goal of, of the restaurants.
2: Uh, it's, it's a unique situation, the setup you have, because um, your successes and your failures are so intertwined like it's all the same day Mm -hmm. um do you ever have you found a a way in your life to just is there a non-restaurant hour of the week that you're not allowed to talk about the restaurant something like that i'm just i guess i'm asking mostly about like your both of your sanity as restaurant owners which is so hard and then the fact that uh your apartment it doesn't turn off like how does that how does that make you feel um sometimes it's nice to stay busy
3: you know uh but yeah it's it's tough when so it's like all right let's go out to dinner and then like sometimes it's dinner and then all of a sudden like you know the phone starts blowing up there's a problem with the restaurant or things like that just sort of rise so we kind of just take it like one one day at a time of you know if today the restaurant didn't burn down or the, or the sink exploded <laughs> or whatever like today's a good day and you know what <laughs> we'll us we'll, call it that but we do as much as we can like you know we'll put like a, a date on the calendar it's like all right, we're having dinner here tonight like put in the calendar it's like this is our plan so we'll have some time together that's not work related
2: so who gets that first call sync explodes uh, you know it's uh, me it's you it's okay. me
3: I, so I get that call um, and then I'll tell Emily because I'm um, you know I, I think that I have no idea how to do any sort of electrical or plumbing or anything, but like I'll just take things apart and see what happens, and sometimes it works <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't so like i'll I'll have that sort of <laughs> I'll have that sort of um uh uh first reaction all right, let's just take this apart let's unplug things let's just you know throw water on it or Hit it, with, hit it with a wrench i don't know and have you have you
2: happens. had any true success taking apart something at the restaurant and saying oh i shouldn't call a plumber i shouldn't call an electrician you know have you actually been able to fix problems that way yeah i actually fixed a uh, low boy which was
3: uh completely uh like by luck you know <laughs> i just <laughs> like took apart like a piece of the motor and then like i have no idea what i'm looking at i was like all right here's a something i unscrewed it and like it looked like uh there was like a little jam on the Propeller, the fan there was like, I need, it's not even a propeller; it's a fan. So I didn't even know what to call it. And then like I, I cleaned it and like put it back together. And like I was like, okay, and like now
2: it worked. It's like, eh. it's awesome that you saved <laughs> several hundred bucks yeah, and exactly. you didn't also electrocute yourself <laughs> in in the process. Um, that is one of the that's one of the craziest things about being a restaurant owner, right? Like, um, can you speak about what it feels like to first have have one restaurant? Um, you're the you're the guy, right? You get the call, you have to be there for service. Um, how does it feel to own a restaurant? And then I'll ask uh, you the same question <laughs> about owning two restaurants. Uh, owning Just Emily was, a, it
3: was a lot, but it was a small restaurant. It's only uh, 40 seats. So, you know, just being there every day, I could even not be there for a few days and it's like, everything would be fine and just check in and constantly checking in. And then, you know, something like, like I said, like something like didn't work. I could, I could address the situation, maybe not in an emergency, um, you know, call in the middle of the night or something, but I could be there and try to fix something. If not call the plumber. And like, it was, it's after what you know, two years, it was pretty, it wasn't easy, but it was getting easier and like getting a little more routine and, and systematic in the sense of, we kind of know what's going to happen next in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. So then, then you then, threw another restaurant threw Another restaurant next. And,
3: yeah, that, uh oh. <laughs> We were supposed to open next door, um, uh, just a a slice takeout shop, and then the lease fell through, and then a friend of a friend showed us the new location that we're in now, Mm -hmm. and it was just a, you know, it's a very large restaurant, and we were... How big is it? Um... It's about 60 seats upstairs, and then we have 40 seats in the basement bar, which we serve burgers in the bar in the basement. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it's large, and it's much bigger than the concept we had, and it was supposed to be a manageable takeout store right next to the old location. And like, all right, let's just go for it. You know, like, let's just go for it. Like, who, like you got to take a risk sometimes, and, and we did.
2: Do you ever feel like you bid off more than you can chew with the second
3: location? I think in the first, like, few, like two months maybe. Um, we've only been open, I guess, what six months. But in the first month or so, when I was like on the line every day there, and like lunch and dinner it was like, what have I done? You know, like it was really tough. But you know, we hired a really, we have really great staff, and we hired up like, really, really well. And the the dedication is there too. Like people believe in the restaurant the same way they believe in Emily. So it works out it's working out very
2: well how do you manage uh, two restaurants and if you if you can and if you would speak a little bit for your wife as well and just how you kind of co-operate the projects but um, it seems so difficult to manage two projects that are even right next to each other and Mm -hmm. you actually have two places that are several miles apart Um, you spoke a little bit earlier about slack and communication do you use that between the two restaurants as well. To use a Thomas Keller TV screen so you can see what's <laughs> going on in the kitchen of Emily. Um, just get, you can speak a little to um, managing two restaurants and how you, what are goals you have accomplished and what other things maybe have slipped through the cracks.
3: Uh, yeah, managing um, managing two at once. Uh, again, the Slack is, is the most important thing. I mean, I was uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. I was slacking out just some things that need to be done. At uh, Emmy Squared, um, you know, and the and the team they're they're very responsive. I don't expect them to be up that early, but if they are and they return the slacks that early, it's like great. Um, you know, things get, need to get painted or a door needs to get fixed. There's things like that that right away. You know, they're they're on it. Um, so it, it's it that's a, that's really nice to have that. And then you know, I'll go back and forth between the restaurants. I've been at Emmy Squared a lot lately, so I've been focusing more attention there. Emily's been at Emily lately um, to. Uh, focus attention there. So it's nice to be able to split ourselves up where we have the same, you know, goals and same ideas where one will be at one and one will be at the other.
2: So that that's that kind of makes it a little bit easier. And does she handle um staffing, back of house, uh, uh the books? What exactly is her role in the businesses? Yeah,
3: she mostly does the uh, administrative side. Um mm-hmm. uh yeah, the staff she's she's we're stepping away a little bit from that. We're trying to get more managers to do that kind of stuff, but originally it was I would do all back of house. She would do all front of house. That's how, that's how it worked.
2: How does that feel actually to take a little step away? Is it freeing or terrifying?
3: It's both. I mean, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, like I have an hour to like do nothing or walk around, <laughs> and then it's like, uh, uh, it feels uncomfortable sometimes.
2: <laughs> Maybe I should be doing something. Why does it? Why does it feel uncomfortable though? I mean, you you have the business, and you're simultaneously trying to grow it. You also want to create some personal space but mm-hmm. um do you feel like you're moving towards the right goal with by stepping away a little bit definitely um
3: you can only micromanage so much and then you also want to drive the employees crazy because if i walk in there it's like oh why is this like this why is this like this what and then it's like it's like oh great you know it's like pe- people people don't like that so yeah, you know, i have i have my managers on my chef to cuisine do that kind of stuff too where you know he's doing it and i'm not just the one walking and just complaining and then leaving so it's nice to sort of have a, another layer of a person, um, you know, ha- have their eyes on it and, and not necessarily like just, you know, I, I don't have to worry when I know that these uh, managers are there because they're the ones looking out for it. So I can I can step back and not not just be panicked all the time. But everything is wrong always. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At this point, you have uh, Emmy is squared has been open for about six or seven mm-hmm. months. Um, which restaurant do you like being in more right now?
3: Um, I guess just because the amount of space we have at emmy squared i can I can sit in the burger bar during the daytime and it's like almost like a little office like it 's a big room and it's it's nice to be able to like spread out a little bit <laughs> so that but I love walking into Emily and smelling the wood oven you know so i i, I, I kind of love both of them equally <laughs> I uh, do enjoy eating at emmy squared uh more right now because um i've eaten the Emily food you know a lot so six months is still novel to me for the type of food i can eat there
2: so um your your menu at uh at both spots i would say is made up of crowd pleasers and i'm going to summarize here not to imply that the food is simple but just so that our listeners can get sort of like a general overview um you have olives pickles uh usually a a very few uh market salads um wings at me squared uh you have the the famous burger Mm -hmm. and then of course you have pizza um so at first glance, it seems like uh, all foods that people are very familiar with. Uh, do you think this puts pressure on you to deliver uh, sort of more incredible or elevated versions of well-known items? Um, or does, does it remove the pressure that everyone is familiar with this food?
3: Uh, I think it actually adds a little pressure because everyone has their ideal about what something should be. It's like, this is not a real burger. This is not real pizza. It's like, well... Like what is then, you know, like it's, you know, I think people try to chase down their childhood nostalgia on food and like place their, their thoughts on what something should be, but it might not necessarily be good or it might not work for the way a restaurant has to pick something up. So, yeah, I I think it is, you know, it is a little bit of pressure to please people with food like pizza and burgers, which people are very opinionated about to begin with.
2: And so... That nostalgia for you, though, you don't actually do a Brooklyn or a New Haven pizza, right? Correct. So, uh, was that purposeful to avoid a copying of a nostalgic memory, or how did yeah, how did the pizza flavors come about?
3: We didn't really want to label it as a this style of pizza. Like, mm-hmm. it's a style of pizza that Emily and I like to eat, and that we we came up with. So you know it's kind of burned and crunchy and and we use all american products so you know you know the the burn char comes from a little bit of the new haven style um we try to make the the flavors taste a little bit like a new york pizza you know and obviously cooked neapolitan style uh in a neapolitan oven but it's not neapolitan style either so it's just sort of here's just a lot of great pizza cultures and here's just my influences of what i like and here's our pizza you know so that's re- that, that's really what we have to offer
2: you sell a twenty-six-dollar hamburger at Emmy <laughs> Squared. Oh, uh, that's at Emily. Oh, at Emmy at, at, at Squared,
3: it's actually twenty-two, so it's a bargain.
2: It's a, it's a real steal. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> did that ever give you pause to put um, an item on the menu at that price point in a in a neighborhood joint?
3: Uh, it did. Uh, it actually started as an eighteen-dollar burger, mm-hmm. um, but then as we started kind of ramping up the quality of the stuff we were using, we got a better meat purveyor. Uh, we changed to dry-aged, we changed to nicer cheese, and then we finally um, changed to the pretzel bun. And all those things put together, uh, you know, it, it just it adds up. So at 18, you know... When you
2: say it adds up, because of labor and sourcing?
3: Yeah, labor, sourcing, just the, the, the uh, amount of time it takes to create this product in a pizza place, which is made for pizza volume. You know, we can easily kick out 300 pizzas a night in a small restaurant and doing delivery, but... You know, we had to buy a new refrigerator for the meat. We had to buy, you know, the, the things like that. We had to buy a new range to to cook the burgers on hot enough. So, you know, it's really um, like that burger. Like uh, it's really a lot of work. You mm-hmm. know, so I think the uh, price is justified.
2: And so, why a burger at a pizza joint?
3: Yeah. <laughs> going back to just we like to cook what we like to eat was mm-hmm. i was just sick of eating pizza one night and i was like i'm gonna put a burger on the menu special and we saw like one a night usually zero a night you know we'd have leftover meat and we use it for family meal you know we'd have buns frozen because like we couldn't get we, we couldn't hit the minimums for getting like one bun a day it didn't make sense and then all of a sudden all at once like three or four of these three or four articles came out just being like this is the best burger and then it was like okay well now we can't have enough burgers in house, so we put the cap on about twenty five a night
2: i'm I'm glad that you actually mentioned that, so the articles came in, and they said, gotta go to this pizza joint and get a hamburger right <laughs> yeah. um, Do you worry about critics um and do you worry about critics now, and did you worry about them before they gave you such Strong reviews for both the pizza and the burger. Well, we didn't even know we'd, we were like
3: a restaurant that could get any critic in, really. You know, we were just making pizza like on Fulton Street, and it was just sort of like, okay, like this is what we do, and here's a, here's our burger, and we're you know we're having we're having fun doing it, and yeah, and all the, all this good press started coming in, and just you know we really, you know, it was really lucky. It was It was it was uh, mostly positive, so that's really, you know, it, it was it was it was I wasn't like surprised in the sense of you know, we really put our heart into it, so everything, like, uh, was mostly positive. But I was kind of surprised that people would actually take the time to come to, you know, our tiny little place and and review it. So that was nice.
2: So who do you cook for now?
3: <laughs> Depends on where I'm needed. Uh, I've co- I cooked at home. Uh, we, um, i say for the first time, about two years, I cooked at home, like, recently. What'd you make? Uh, I made a... Uh, a bolognese like mm-hmm. a chicken bolognese emily doesn't eat beef or anything like that so uh a chicken bolognese with some pasta and um it yeah, was nice and simple and tasty what's salad. the uh,
2: <laughs> what's the home fridge look like since you're both at the restaurants do you even eat at home ever is it just out or at your own restaurant basically uh tons of condiments
3: <laughs> like just dozens and dozens of uh condiments people drop by samples you know like vendors driven by samples and It's a fridge of condiments. So if I were to make a sandwich at home, it would be pretty baller on
2: condiments. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to focus on the building of a dish um, and ask kind of like the part of your brain that dominates. um, Are you a businessman or a chef first when you're building your pizzas at the restaurant?
3: Definitely a chef first, and then I'll price it accordingly. Mm -hmm. And if it's something ridiculous, then it just won't go on. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I just like I like building flavor profiles of you know things that are, nice like salty and sweet and fatty and rich and delicious. And pizza is a very good vehicle for that kind of stuff. Putting on a dough.
2: In terms of you know you've you've mentioned sourcing a lot. I know that you source almost exclusively from the from the United States. Pretty or, much. Or Pretty I think much. Only our pecorino is imported. Uh, can you talk about how you made that decision and also? Um, specifically how can a chef be responsible as part of the community and the neighborhood uh why did you choose to source the way that you do
3: um you know i really love uh like very classic neapolitan pizza with everything imported from italy but then when you start having all these places that are importing everything from the same distributor coming out of italy everything starts to taste the same so right there like that's if I'm going to open a place and it's going to taste the same as all the other places, it doesn't really make sense, you know? And then with places like Franny's and like Roberta's who are just, you know, kind of started that, well, we have just as good stuff in America, if not better and it's fresher, it's not coming, you know, over, um, it doesn't take a week to get here and it's, it's beautiful. Like, you know, and then again, the variety then too, like we don't have to have one single importer from Italy getting us the same stuff. We can just make relationships with people we like and farmers and things like that. I think it's a lot more special
2: how did you build those relationships um how did i build those relationships
3: uh you know just uh you know i like to take tours of facilities uh mm-hmm. we used to have pasta on our menu um and we went to go visit this foglini um factory which uh, i really like their pasta where is that uh it's in the uh pfizer building okay so um very really really good stuff. Um, and then um, Myers Produce, which is a, a produce company from Annie Myers. She, uh, she drives around to farms all over the, the um, Massachusetts, Vermont, and picks up stuff and then brings it straight to restaurants. So it's things like that that are really nice and, and very seasonal, and you get really good stuff. It's not like using like, a Door account, where things just sort of
2: show up at your door. Show up at your
3: door, yeah. and like, everyone gets the same thing.
2: Who deserves credit for who you are today as a chef? <laughs>
3: Uh, it has gotta be Emily I mean, that's that's really what it is uh I mean, um most of my family uh like when when I want to start cooking they were like they're encouraging, but they're kind of like eh, you know like whatever, but Emily's like, no, no, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it like it Emily's always pushing me to like do what I do what I want to do, and like you know even with like a dish, she's encouraged me like, no, it should be like this, it should be like this and like it kind of encourages me and, and like makes me think and like ask the tough questions of like you know what about this dish is good or bad and things like that, so she's definitely the one that. I wouldn't. I'd probably be a computer science guy if, if I didn't haven't met Emily.
2: <laughs> you have two restaurants uh, right now. Are you the chef that you hope that you would be? Are you are you there yet, or are you? Um, how do you feel about the current state of your career in having two restaurants?
3: Uh, I'm surprised. I am where where I am in the sense of you know New York is very competitive. And like it's really hard to stand out, so um, I'm happy that uh, we are. But again, I think with cooking, there's so much learning you can do, and, and so much getting better. You know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not like a master of anything really. So, you know, to get to a point where like you know you you can look back and and be something in a, in a tough city and not just like a flash in the pan. Like you know, there's still a lot of a lot of time to go. So, eventually one day I'll, I'll look back and be like, okay. <laughs> New York's tough, like I survived it, <laughs> like, you know. So one day, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm always going to strive to make things better. So,
2: <laughs> Matt, thanks so much for being with us. Join us me. next week, Tuesdays, 11 a.m., The Line on Heritage Radio. <laughs>